0: are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one that can't seem to land a hit as the monsters in crawl, Travis. And I'm the one that antagonizes my brother by summoning endless slimes, Jordan. He's a real asshole about it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing brings me more joy. (laughs) Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. Melting down your talisman of ultimate evil to make a pretty anklet for incredible games. A pretty... (laughs) Oh, nice. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> Send your conservative parents to the other room for this one, as if the title wasn't enough of a red flag. Today we are going to talk about warlock patrons. Gonna get real deep into the one thing that used to scare the crap out of people about D anD. D summoning them demons to help you. So with warlock patrons, you want to cast spells? Yes. Okay. Well, you uh you could probably ask your parents about any kind of your magic family history, any uh any fun times back there? Uh not that I've learned through my studies. Okay. Well, you could always go to college and devote your entire life to study of magics. Uh book learning's pretty tough for me cuz okay. I don't want to do it. <laughs> Fair enough. There's another way. Have you Ever heard of Yinogu? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let Sounds me tell you all about Yenogu. Uh, particularly the Pact of the Fiend. Yes, because warlocks can get their powers from different sources, but we're focusing on the fiendy ones. So these wonderful, flavorful elements of being a warlock, I think often don't really get the kind of treatment that they rightfully deserve. And I say so because I am abhorrently guilty of doing this whenever I create a warlock I just kind of write it off as like uh yeah I don't know there's a there's a demon there somewhere he made a pact and now he has powers so moving on yeah and it's one of the classes in my mind that has that role playing built right into it if you do a little bit of work up front to figure out how that's going to come out yeah and it can end up not being very rich or deep, like your character just answered a Craigslist ad that some demon put out there. And (laughs) it's just like, hey, do you want powers? Anyone got some souls they're giving away for cheap? (laughs) Uh, So Mike Merles actually tackled this one recently or semi-recently. And he mentioned a cool way to think about packs with patrons and really kind of added a lot more flavor and depth, I think. And some of my main takeaways from this was that the the fiend that you may be dealing with, they may not actually need a soul. And there are certain fiends that certainly deal in souls and things like that, so... Always fun. Yeah, sure. But maybe they just need hands on the material plane. That's true, because it's pretty tough for them to get from... The Nine Hells or wherever, (laughs) not a lot of not a lot of great grocery stores in the Nine Hells. They need you to run and do some errands for them. (laughs) So the pact can also be broken. And he talked. Mike Merles was talking a lot about how packs, you know, warriors and awesome characters can still be good and having made a pact in the past, and they can still be kind of rallying against it and trying to fight for. The, the greater good, having made a mistake long ago. So it's not like your character has to permanently be dealing with this fiend that they maybe made a made a pact with. And the final one that I thought was really, really interesting, as far as this whole Mike Merles thing went, is that he talked about how the agreement can be fulfilled. So once you've, You've basically done a super minor thing for a demon. I mean, it could be the, the the D&D equivalent of doing a grocery run for a demon, but they see mortal lives as short, meaningless, and really, who gives a shit if somebody's running around for what seems like a blink of an eye to an eternal demon? So, yeah, sure, here's some warlock powers, go ahead. I don't really care what you do with them on the material plane. I got what I wanted out of it. Okay. And you're saying that what I got out of it for the demon could be something really simple? Yeah. Like throwing a handful of eggs in the lake? Sure. Demon eggs? (laughs) That's a really (laughs) weird task, but sure. Yeah, sure it is. So yeah, it could be something super simple. Anyways, let's get to the stuff that we really want to talk about some of our segments. Okay, so in the archives of the ancients, today we're going to talk about fiend patron options and take some inspiration from w- real-world theology. The next one is going to be the strategy stateroom, where we're actually going to discuss great roleplay options for interacting with your patron if you've decided to keep them around. And finally, we're going to get into the proving grounds, where we'll create a character inspired directly by a warlock from the movie screens. <laughs> All right. I'm looking forward to that one. Let's, uh, let's get a move on. This is the Archives of the Ancients, where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. Okay, so in folklore and religion, the majority of demons and devils are all about temptation and the breaking of our convictions, and it's really quite interesting when you get deep down into that that crazy web that I mentioned. The challenge I have with creating a lot of warlocks is that I'm making a hero. So it's a little bit of a challenge to keep them on the straight and narrow. Like, maybe you're doing an evil campaign, but for the most part, we're all trying to play fantasy heroes. Right. And it gets a little bit challenging to try to play that person when you have indeed made a metaphorical and literal pact with a <laughs> devil. So a warlock doesn't have to be an edgelord, mostly evil kind of crazy, uh, you know, crow style person they don't have to be against all goodness they don't have to wear entirely leather they don't have black leather they don't have to wear sunglasses at night they Uh, don't have to (laughs) kick puppies as they pass them (laughs) what we're talking about is really just a hero with a weakness and a fallibility if if your character at one point made some kind of pact that was just a mistake that was a sidestep on their path to becoming hero so it would make a lot of sense that a particular fiend would just single out a hero and make an offering in exchange for power that they were most tempted by at some point when they were at their weakest. Yeah, that, I think that creates a really interesting backstory when you're at your lowest point and you accept one of those deals. So a lot of the demons and devils featured in D&D were originally drawn from mythology and theology anyways. So that's why we're going to do our own digging and get some inspiration of our own. Yeah. Yeah, I'm certain that that probably didn't help drawing all of those demons from real Christian and, well, all religions around the world. I mean, they've kind of recycled the same kind of demons time and time again, but taking those probably didn't help with that whole 70s satanic panic. Yeah, that probably honestly started most of it. Yeah, they they could have made up their own demons and made them completely different. Yeah. And if you didn't, like if a conservative mom didn't see Asmodeus and <laughs> like some of the, the actual demons from, from the Bible in there, probably wouldn't have blown it that out of proportion. And as far as making up fantasy names goes, I think demons are some of the easiest names to come up with. Yeah, really. Chorchobork. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Okay, so also on a side note We should probably get out in front of this one Don't go out and start worshipping this shit Or stop going to church Or whatever the hell you do uh, This is all just an effort to write deeper More meaty characters We do not endorse Demon worship or anything In any like way, that. shape, or form We're not we're Just don't go out and be a friggin' weirdo, okay? <laughs> all right Don't so, blame us for it if you do <laughs> I guess that's really what we're worried about <laughs> Go for it Go nuts. It's just not our fault. Okay. (laughs) So in D&D lore, there's three types of evil creatures, all jammed under one category of fiend. So underneath there, you've got devils, demons, and yugoloths. And there's an eternal blood war. Between the devils and the demons. Yeah. And uh, those are the two big forces always fighting. The yugoloths are actually playing for both sides. Neutral party. Yeah. They don't really give a shit. Starting with devils, their alignment is lawful evil, and that means that they have hierarchies, are structured, and know what's going on within their ranks. This is this is the as close to an army as you can get. Like they they are structured. Yeah. They're very litigious. Their home is in the Nine Hells, a plane with nine clearly defined layers, all with different leaders. And when they're dealing with mortals, they usually keep their word, though they often try to twist those words Hence those, uh, those twists at the end of all of those kind of stories. Ah, I made a deal, but he screwed me. And now I've got rabbits for feet. Well, then you shouldn't have made a deal with the devil. Shouldn't have. There are specific types of devils, and all of them agree that Uncle Hank is a pit fiend <laughs> and not a bone devil. So they, again, they know what they're talking about. They want to rule over the cosmos and bring order to it. But demons in this blood war keep showing up at the door with a fresh bag of flame and poop. <laughs> laughing at their attempts to organize everything. <laughs> the childlike shenanigans of demons. <laughs> always, always their bags of flame and shit. They're big fans of uh, contracts and deals and games and all of those kinds of things. In D&D specifically, they collect and poison souls. And the, the, the more noble the soul, the better, as they seek to bolster their ranks of those destined to join in their fight against demons. If the person was kind of a shit human in the first place, like they're headed towards the nine hells, which is why they're after somebody who is noble and virtuous and things like that, because they weren't going to end up there, which means that was one lost soldier in their weird ass army. Bringing down the good people. So give me an example of one of these devils from real theology. So the name of this one is Akamana, and it's a deva originally from Zoroastrianism, but it has ties to other religions as well. It's uh, always represented as a tempter of souls. Do we have a description? Can you give me a a rundown of what this thing looks like? So this fella is unsettlingly tall and thin. He's got bone white flesh and the head of a ram with the curly horns included. Don't they all have... (laughs) They all seem to have... Yeah. But this might have been one of the original ideas for that representation, though. I guess so. Yeah, like you were saying that, like this goes back as far as religion does. Yeah. So this devil seeks the destruction of all but himself and the mortals he controls. He really loves himself, and he detests those with a negative self-image. He's into shape shifting and sorcery. He knows a lot about it, apparently. I don't know what spells he knows, and his motivations are to cause believers to question their faith. So all kind of typical, but I looked into one story from Akamana, and I was inspired to create a warlock pact. Cool. So one of the stories of Akamana was that they tempted a hero, Zarathustra, by asking him 99 questions, trying to shake his faith in a higher power. This attempt eventually failed, and Zarathustra, of course, came out the victor. So that inspires the following deal. You're struggling with some personal journey. And I'm going to grant you some amazing powers. Sure, I'm down. But on the casting of your 99th spell, I'm going to collect your mortal soul slowly until you perish. Goddamn. That's... <laughs> and this isn't in the contract, but you're going to slowly warp into some kind of basic lesser yeah. devil uh. while you're still alive. Wow. Holy hell. So Literally. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> If you perish before your 99th spell, I will grant you an audience with the god that you worship, which is kind of why I reached out to you, because they're my mortal enemy. Oh. And you're going to need to explain the motivations behind each of your castings at that time. Good lord, that's a serious dig. You gotta send me before my hero to explain all the shit deals that I've made (laughs) and all of the castings. Wow. You, you need to justify why you used devil power in order to accomplish the goals that you're now claiming are for a righteous cause. There's that classic devil twist. You screwed me in the end. <laughs> Alright, so moving on to the wonderful chaotic evil demons. This is where they they kind of clash with the devils, is that they don't have all of those rules. They don't really care. About deals, they're just there to spread chaos. Like they just want to spread pestilence and death and just general unpleasantness. Yeah, and if you see a pile of demons, that's pretty much the closest thing they've got to an army. <laughs> just a just r- a heap heaping, heaping pile. Yeah, that pile just moves. <laughs> so if the devil that went down to Georgia was actually a demon, he would have just eaten him at the end. He wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> He wouldn't have actually held to his like, oh, yeah, sweet. You played darn well. Well, he probably would have just been like, here's a fiddle made of gold and I'm going to eat you. (laughs) There's no real competition. (laughs) It's a real short song. This is my fiddle. (laughs) Hop in my mouth. So for those of you that can't see what Jordan just did, he just pointed at his tongue. (laughs) So demons hate order and they want to consume the universe with chaos. Their home is in the abyss, which is in a plane of chaos with near infinite layers. Like there's just, it just goes on and on and on and on. They're like, you can make up whatever the hell you want because the abyss is infinite. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to reason with them. Whereas devils, you might actually stand a chance. And if a demon disagrees with their neighbor, they might just have a quick murder bite fight to settle it. Very uncivilized. <laughs> <laughs> they focus their attention on the devils, as to attack somewhere else means that the devils get the upper hand and will likely overrun and destroy them. So I think that the only bit of organization that demons really have is just in their unilateral and unanimous decision that these devils need a shit kick. In. Yeah, keep funneling all forces towards the gates of the Nine Hills and we'll be good. So this is where we get into some serious freaky shit. Um, This was a deep pit that I delved into researching demons because each religion borrows from the next and it goes all round and round. Every single demon has roots in certain theology as well. This is kind of interesting because D&D kind of shakes out, like when D&D was created, they kind of shook out all of these real world, demons and devils and they said okay well we're trying to build a game here so this one's going to go in this category this one's going to go in this one so the demon that i chose was asmodeus let me explain how we ended up getting here Mm -hmm. in real world theology in 1613 there was a catholic father his name was sebastian michaels michaelis Mm, sebastian michaelis that sounds right (laughs) I know my Sebastians. Admirable History was the book that he wrote, in which there included a classification of demons and all of their hierarchy, as it was told to him by the demon Bereth. Wow. When he was exercising a nun. Wow, you really probably shouldn't l- take lessons from demons as you're exercising them. So this is all, of course, according to the author, who is the this this catholic father anyways during the possession the demon bareth started spilling all the beans about this demon hierarchy and one of them included asmodeus so we're getting this straight from the source, is what you're saying uh as as close (laughs) to the source as we possibly can (laughs) yikes so asmodeus's origin is pretty much the same as the last it has roots in like far 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 back like the earliest of religions okay and Apparently, Asmodeus has 72 legions under his belt, under his command. Wow. Yeah, he's a, he's a biggin'. He's a re- <laughs> real muckety-muck. That's, down in the- <laughs> that's a lot. That's more than the meals that I can remember eating. So good <laughs> for <you> him. <laughs> um, so what does this guy look like then? Is he a little bit different from the traditional? His earlier incarnations definitely were a little bit weirder. He was described as limping uh he had a limp because he had a chicken leg that'll do it he had a rooster leg every time (laughs) that's a big limp yeah that's a big limp like a regular sized (laughs) chicken regular sized chicken leg he had one man leg and then one just like short little (laughs) shrimpy chicken leg no it was a it was a big grotesque chicken leg uh he was described as having a goat man and boar head he had three heads the man head was blowing fire for some reason The goat head was something to do with gluttony, and later interpretations of Asmodeus depicted him as just a really handsome, persuasive man. But guess what? Still stuck around. The chicken leg made the made the transition for sure to later incarnations. So he still had a limp with a chicken leg. So every time you see a handsome guy, assume he's got a chicken leg. (laughs) So his motivations are all about lust, debauchery. Gambling, revenge, pretty much all the bad stuff that you could possibly do. Right he, on, he had, fun stuff. Yeah, he had stocks in each one of those. <laughs> so, yeah, like I said earlier, the most interesting part is in the D and D pantheon of gods and fiends that Asmodeus fell into the category of devil. All right, so he was definitely, in, and I think in real world uh theology, he was definitely more of a demon. But when they were shaking out all of the demons and devils for for D&D, he landed in devils. Okay. Okay, so how about this? For for your warlock twist. In exchange for the power you need to accomplish your goal, you are compelled to use your greed for treasure and resources to throw some serious parties for the enjoyment of for as many folks as you can. That just sounds like a win-win, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You are known for throwing some serious Elton John, Freddie Mercury-level style parties that are just totally balls-to-the-wall crazy. In them, you've got booze, you've got greed, you've got gambling and gluttony, all in one bombastic evening in which your close friends might notice that you are not your usual self, okay, but may You're in fact boy. be possessed. This is where Asmodeus gets his kicks because, as a part of your pact, whenever you throw one of these parties and you have to throw them fairly often, Asmodeus just gets to take a walk in your skin. Yikes, that's and, that's some chaos right there, yeah. Like, that's who dangerous. D- but I mean, the nice thing here is that when the evening's done, like the rest of your party wake up time goes the next morning you just dust yourself off you do the walk of shame and you never speak of the crazy shit that happened to your party again and Asmodius gets his kicks at that point you're almost a patron for all the people coming to your parties it's like you can come but no i'm gonna get up to some weird shit nobody's allowed to talk about what i did last night yeah all right that's pretty cool that could work into a game yeah yeah and the third of our fiendish patrons are the yugoloths Now, this one is more of a creation for D&D than being from real world history. The reason that they exist is to provide a neutral evil equivalent to these chaotic demons and these lawful devils. So they don't really have a common cause. They come from the bleak eternity of Gehenna, which from that description, it sucks there. Pretty bad. From the bleak part or from the Gehenna part? (laughs) And the eternity part. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That part. All the parts. Well, I just, like, I would never invite people over and be like, you want to come to the bleak eternity of my basement? (laughs) (laughs) They don't host a lot of guests. That is exactly how I'm describing our our basement from now on. So, these fiends are selfish mercenaries that will mow your lawn for a buck, but will burn it mid-mow if Uncle Hank offers them two bucks. (laughs) <laughs> okay <laughs> just to give you kind of a baseline for their behavior yeah gotcha. in this mighty blood war they're gonna fight for whichever side pays them better or makes a better deal after the fact demons or devils Hmm. so as such demons and devils when they're going into wars or battles where they know that there's going to be these yugoloths they'll often bring a big old sack of treasure in case that a uh. party of yugoloths comes up and they just say here i'll pay you more nice So you're saying they've got some real backbone. They've got some real... (laughs) Why you would hire somebody like that to fight your fight is pretty wild. Every single time I play basketball, I just get Terry, (laughs) who fucking dunks on our own team for some reason when somebody gives him a fiver. (laughs) Mike keeps handing him five bucks and he's just... I can't find anybody to play forward, so whatever, I guess. So for this one, I found Leshi. This one's kind of interesting because it comes from the Russian folklore and kind of a the Slavic pantheon of gods, kind of inter intermixed. This one's probably made a lot of appearances in pop culture. Particularly, the one that comes to my mind is The Witcher Three. Okay, where they you would run into forest lesions. Oh. Yeah, so they definitely made into a lot of for folklore since then. But really, it is always depicted as a tall humanoid with horns, but it's generally made to take any shape. And they kind of hang out in the forest? Yeah. Actually, speaking of which, the Netflix film, The Forest, the the demon in there, the, the creature in there, is very much, pretty much a, a, a leshy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it involves a lot of twisting of minds and confusion of directions of travelers and it was kind of always known as a forest guardian but it kind of had a shitty bent to it where it was like i'm kind of a forest guardian but also (laughs) if your kids wander into my shit i'm gonna eat them yeah like i don't care about people yeah it was just yeah it was kind of like a neutral thing it was just you know i'm gonna mess you up if you mess with me okay so you could probably make the leap that if you were playing kind of a neutral or forest leaning character, you might find an ally in something like a Leshi as your patron. Okay. And so it kind of fits that Yugoloth if you want. If you want to go down that path of the fiendish warlock instead of going druid or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you could definitely still kind of work this in. If we're going to talk a little bit about how to work this into your story. The leshy could be a yugoloth that was summoned long ago, but has since lost its mind wandering the woods, and it needs sustenance to remain on the prime material plane, and not return to its shitty home. But essentially, it will die without being fed, and the deal is, I'll grant you wild-ass powers if you perpetuate a myth of some great treasure lost in the woods that I roam. Uh. Send me food. Yeah, yeah, more or less like uh, skip the dishes. <laughs> skip, skip the dishes. I know that game. Can you please send me some peoples? Spin it as stealing from goodly creatures, and you lure in kind of evil folk. So that yeah. way you can still on stay on the right side of the law there. Yeah, and uh, you know the next time somebody stiffs you on the bill or tries to, <laughs> you know, steal from your pack, you catch a a thief in the night. You just simply tell them of this awesome spot in the woods that you know that there's a ton of treasure. And you're still not doing any murdering. I mean, it's only if they're greedy enough will they go... It's not you doing the murdering, but maybe the Lashie gets a little snack. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they're <laughs> tough enough, <laughs> they'll be fine. But they won't be. They won't. They'll <laughs> die. The Lashie will eat them. All right. Nice. Yeah, so that's about it. Let's move on. Okay. This is Morden's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped, honed into tools and weapons for the most incredible of quests. Okay, so welcome to Morden's Forge. And in this one, what we're going to do is we're going to basically take the typical warlock packs and we're going to jazz them up a little bit. All right, that sounds tasty. Okay, so I'm going to start this one off with a little bit of uh, of a different pitch. Now, stay with me on this one. It's American Pickers Extreme Hell Edition. (laughs) So that's a good reality show. Your character, in exchange for their abilities, took part in the distribution of a series of one of a kind art items, and having fulfilled their pact, you get to keep your powers. End of story, right? Oh, that's pretty easy. Yeah. So I just have to get. I just have to pull an art heist no you have distributed like you took part in the creation of these art artifacts that got dispersed out into the world cool however unbeknownst to you those were possessed or they're they're basically going to do very very long-term damage to the people that Mm. ended up getting them sneaky demons so the true terror became apparent as the item polluted the souls of the specific folks who possess them. So that was your long ago whoopsie daisy Now your character's goal is to reobtain these items, hunting down and bartering with the owners of all of these items. Nice. So does that give their soul a chance at redemption? Perhaps. Or do you have to say sorry and stab him through the <laughs> eye? Well, that's, that's where I think this could be a lot of fun is you could essentially turn this into, into a full campaign. Yeah. I mean, so the Fiend, what the Fiend was after was the more minds that were tainted by the pull. You know, I'm kind of thinking like a, a possessed item, like the the ring, okay, basically yeah. what the ring did to Smeagol. Mm-hmm. So You got a bunch of Smeagols running around. You got a you. shit ton of Smeagols, and now you've got to try and get those items back from Smeagol? We all know how that went. Perfectly. It wasn't the source of three full-length, four-hour movies. So you are keeping this secret. So if we're going to try and add a little bit of more roleplay flavor to this, you are trying to keep this secret from the party. Maybe you do your best to play it off as if you're an eccentric collector of these items. And when faced with any resistance through obtaining, your true obsession might show through. Yeah. Just a little bit. Because you're not giving up. You're not taking no for an answer. Like, what if... Some of the other party members in your D and D group actually had a part in this. Like, if they were, say, a simple, beautiful chalice, maybe one of your party members you w- was the constructor, was the the shaper and the crafter of these things. Oh, okay. And then another one was the uh, the delivery person that dropped these off or gave them as gifts to these individuals. And now that bonds your whole party together. Hmm. And like, hey, we as a team have to go and track down all of these items. Yeah. So you're kind of saying like you're guilty through association too? Pretty much. So please help me. Hey, I've realized the mistake that we've made. I got these warlock powers. I made this terrible pact. You probably did too. Um, Or maybe you were just a hapless pawn in this whole thing. And now we all have to go and we have to try and find them. And I don't know, maybe one is you know, you find one of these chalices or whatever the, this this possessed item is and you have to barter it off of an old man and his wife. And then the next one is has gone like rabid and he's biting people and you're trying to like hunt him down. Yeah. And then the other one is a rich benefactor who's just left it under a glass case and he's fine, but he wants like 600 million gold for oh, yeah, for yeah, this yeah. thing. So like- and it he's could doing be... dark stuff in the background or something like oh, that. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. yeah! Like, you could have an infinite number of cool short stories in mm-hmm. your campaign to track all of these down. Yeah. And you could do it with a party of all different classes, of course. But sounds like it would be a fun, even shorter campaign where it's, oops, all warlocks. <laughs> <laughs> oops, all warlocks. So that's mine. What do you got? Okay, so... Warlocks, like we mentioned, can often be evil-looking, creepy dudes that do bad things, for sure. But what if you did a kind of serve-the-enemy-to-know-the-enemy kind of situation? You're playing a goody-goody paladin that opposes demons and devils completely. And your gods often speak of sacrifice, and others speak of sacrifice. But in your mind, others simply lack the bravery to, to do what is actually needed to fulfill your purpose oh hell yeah you're going deep undercover yeah how how much deeper can you get than making a pact than becoming a warlock and making (laughs) a pact you're like hey church says you should probably take him down from the inside let's get dark and dirty holy shit this is the departed you've got the departed here spoiler alert (laughs) (laughs) sorry for anyone that i just ruined the departed for he is a warlock And he cast Eldrick Blast a lot in that movie. Leo Dio (laughs) casts all kinds of spells. This is true. This is exactly how that movie went. Okay. So um, what does the, the demon themselves want? So the demon that you are serving is happy to lend power to anyone that opposes those above it. Like maybe it knows, but maybe it also doesn't know that you're like trying to get close to it and dismantle its own shit from the inside. So it it wouldn't necessarily care one way or the other. It knows that you want to take down devils, so it's going to use you as a tool in oh, order to shit. take down its rivals. So in the in the event it figures out that you're working from the inside, you're worshiping Pelor still. Now all of a sudden you're beholden to it because it's like, hey, uh, now I got you in my pocket. Like yeah. you have all the powers, and I'll send you after my rivals. And I'll continue to give you powers, but only if you take down... Hmm. You know, I I keep my hands clean as the devil lord. And it's kind of a win-win, but also I'm going to control you. Wow, that's good. So how would you go about kind of role-playing this? So you're an extremist. When you see people like Paladins, you think they're just a well-meaning poster child, but they don't actually do the work. They don't have an impact. And you're the only real hope for Palor's people. All right, yeah, no, I get that. So you're like, you're super in deep, you're an extremist. you think that anybody else that isn't willing to cozy right up with another demon or devil is not going far enough? You're weak. And you've got one more for me, yeah? Yeah. So this one, I'm not, I'm going to be reaching back a little ways here. If you haven't seen or heard of these, this is going to sound friggin' baddie. But, anyways, here goes. This was inspired by a short film that featured Clive Owen, Gary Oldman, Danny Trejo, and two sadly departed talents, James Brown, and director Tony Scott, known for uh, True Romance, and the one with Keira Knightley, Domino. Wow. Just a crazy amount of talent, and a really, I'm not going to spoil it because it's awesome, but a, a really cool cameo at the very end. So, these were, these were short films made by BMW to feature their cars, but they had all of this talent. It was frigging crazy. Deal with the Devil, Race in the Car, super awesome. Go watch it. They're on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it. What it is, is we're going to deal with the Cult of Fierna or Grasd. Um, if you're familiar with Morden Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, you can find a bunch more information of them in there. I think both kind of fit really well. One was a demon, one was a devil. Okay. So I think you could kind of play this either way. Both need souls, both need glory. So it kind of works with either one. Gotcha. They've got those typical demon devil goals about them. Yeah, exactly. Devils have a, we're going to, we're going to go with a devil for this one, but devils have a bit of a PR problem. So the easiest way... (laughs) That's fair. That's true. (laughs) Understatement of the year. Um, So yeah, devils have a bit of a public relations problem. They need a better... They need a spiffy image. They need a little bit of social lubricant with the masses. The easiest way to change this is to have a worshipper openly and casually talk to people into becoming worshippers through art. So the way you're going to roleplay this is your character is super vain and this works with all of the stat boosts that that warlocks get as well because you want your highest stat of course to be charisma. Yeah. So you are super vain, you're going to take the entertainer background and get an even bigger charisma boost and you're going to think of yourself as either the Elvis or the Marilyn Manson of Faerûn. Cool. Or so... even the James Brown or or the James Brown, <laughs> sure. Um and you're going to own a room whenever you walk in you're gonna saunter everywhere you go and you can entertain anyone with your super high charisma now you jam out a tune or whatever the case may be whatever your art is are you you always using your art to do that entertaining though oh hell yeah okay yeah yeah so you don't have to worry about that like being super charismatic problem no no No, you're just whatever your art is, you own it. So like I said, imagine Elvis back in the 1960s when parents were just worried sick that their (laughs) kids were listening to Elvis. This guy was the devil at the time. He'll taint your mind. Exactly. So imagine that your character is granted ridiculous charisma in exchange for offhandedly just talking about the devil Fierna. And, you know, it's just the devil Fierna isn't really all that bad. <laughs> the more believers you gain and the more souls you sign up here and there. So maybe one day you can renegotiate for your own soul or maybe youth. So this one's arguably one of the darker ways to role play a warlock. Because, oh, for you, sure. you know, you're <laughs> sending people to Fierna. Well, I mean, look what Fearn has done for you. All you have to role play That's true. is being in it for yourself. A little bit selfish, more or less the way a lot of people end up in this kind of situation hmm. is just kind of ignoring the fact that you're not probably doing the best work ever. Well, I get what you're saying, because as a selfish person, you are living your dream Exactly. So really you're just encouraging people to go live their dreams. Look at how great your life is. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want this for yourself? Yeah. Okay. Fierna or okay. grass really isn't all that bad. I just love the idea of like finishing a really wicked song and then going up to the mic and all right, everybody, let's take it down a little bit while we discuss <laughs> Fierna. <laughs> no, I'm thinking like in the in the interview after the fact, like Hey, you're the height of popularity. What do you love? Well, I love breakfast and I love Graz. <laughs> oh, what? Really? You do? That's so counterculture. you That's not really... That's very taboo of you to say that you really love this demon. Absolutely would be, yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that pretty much caps off that uh, that whole... I start my day off like anyone else. A big bowl of oatmeal and worshipping the Dark Lord Graz. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to the Proving Grounds. I'm super excited. Yeah, yeah. This is the Extra Dimensional Gateway, where unique heroes heroes from strange alternate realities are recruited. We're going to chat about a build of a character that you can go ahead and download on our Patreon for free. And while we agree that creating a carbon copy of a pop culture character in D&D can be pretty uncreative and immersion breaking, yeah, almost to the degree of trolling your DM. Yeah, that that gets me. And it really annoys me because it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that just kind of grates on you over a while. Like it sounds good in theory, but in practice, it never really is as good as you thought it might be. Especially if you're playing that character as if he's from the original world that they're from. yeah oh man that's that's super yeah <laughs> super game breaking and just kind of like immersion breaking like gotham i'm from gotham don't and reference now Goth- i'm <laughs> in faerun anyways uh yeah so it can be great if you're new to role-playing and you want to play a character you're a little bit familiar with how they act yeah no i could see that like wanting to to just kind of bridge that context gap, like, especially for brand new people. Yeah. It's like, I can't make up a really in-depth character that I know how to play really well, but I can basically emulate one that I've seen before and yeah. that I, I can wrap my head around. Take some inspiration. From yeah. That. That. that could make it a little bit more seamless, I would say. You know, and just trying to integrate properly with the lore of D&D. Like, if it's done well it can meld right into a group. And so you can have a bunch of experienced players and then maybe a less experienced player who's relying on something that they've seen before. Yeah, and as long as you kind of work those details from whatever world you're playing in, yeah, it really helps to immerse it. Totally. So for this episode, we're going to do Ash Williams from the Evil Dead series. What a great... Yet awful (laughs) (laughs) character. I had so much fun building this with you. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan and I just like splayed out all the books and really, this is is such a fun exercise and a fun process. So we're going to take you through what we created. So we built him as a warlock with some little tweaks to his story to fit him within a fantasy setting. We're not going to go into grievous details, but you can find our complete character build with art and custom magic item on patreon like yeah. you said i actually had a lot of fun creating uh the art for the custom magic item that we made ash <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that in, we'll reveal the moment yeah it was a lot of fun okay so what's the basic backstory for our ash our ash short for ashley and his girlfriend lindal oh and friends sheryl and Scott i don't know something like that Fantasy scott and zelly uh were exploring the woods when they came upon a tower of the evil sorcerer nobi and there they spent the night to rest but a kandarian demon possessed all of his friends and killed them one by one and he gave his right hand to the demon to be spared okay more of a discussion yes so now he's constantly plagued by the deadites And he carries a longsword, which he replaced his hand with via a system of straps. (laughs) And he carries a magical hand crossbow, which, due to the magical properties, make a deafening sound. And he has nicknamed it his boomstick. Boomstick. (laughs) Gotta have that. So our idea of Ash and his patron, his patron has bestowed upon him the Necronomicon, which both empowers him, but also in Ash's hands. And as we saw throughout all the films, every single time he gets his hands on the Necronomicon, shit goes sideways, (laughs) like literally every time. So for the continual inadvertent summoning of Deadites, he's essentially doing this himself, even though it's his Necronomicon. So he makes constant mistakes, says Ash is want to do and that's why you could have demons constantly coming after him or the party because he's literally the one summoning them exactly. that's why there's always demons around <laughs> he might not even realize it yeah yeah so he's sworn to keep the book out of the hands of others good choice so if you want to put this right into forgotten realms lore you can go with one of the demon lords as the patron hmm which one do you think i was looking at a couple that were more the typical demon background okay. but the one i liked was fraz were blue uh he's the prince of deception so the reason i chose him is that most that serve him aren't even aware so that's perfect ash could think he's working against the demon hordes while really bringing many more into the world like we were just talking about gotcha yeah totally yeah that works And he's just into messing with the minds of mortals making them think that maybe they're serving someone else <laughs> <or> whatever <laughs> yeah that works perfectly. So I don't think we're going to go into too much detail here, but definitely hop on to our Patreon if you're interested. If you want to see the magic item, you want to see our build of Ash, but we'll quickly kind of run through what we ended up doing. Yeah, let's do it. So we built him as a chaotic good level three warlock, because that's where things actually start to become interesting is always level three. Uh, But we built him with the fiend patron, obviously, and the haunted one background from curse of strahd what are the highlights of that i thought this one fit so perfectly because even some of the personality traits sound like shit that ash would say (laughs) one of them being i don't run from evil evil runs from me (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's ash talking. that's totally ash uh we used the standard array we made his intelligence because he's not overly bright yeah uh we made his that his dump stat at, at uh eight and his charisma is one of his higher ones at 15 because he's always ta- somehow convincing people that he's a good guy and that he should be respected, <laughs> even though he's a complete dope. And actually, we took the uh, the human variant and actually bumped that up to 16 because we specifically we went with the human variant because we wanted a feat, which is the crossbow expert, which is, I don't know, that's On a point. Yeah. yeah, that's a foregone conclusion. You got to have the crossbow expert because he's always hitting stuff and then following it up with his uh his attack from his gun, yeah, so that lets you do that as a bonus action, so some of the other abilities we'll run through here we give him the pact of the blade that gives him that sword arm as a double bladed long sword instead of his signature chainsaw, yeah, so he can just conjure that, which he tends to do he yeah. just conjures that shit out of nowhere <laughs> and actually to to serve the purpose of later on in army of darkness, where he creates his own uh mechanical hand we gave him one of the one of his base spells His the cantrips cantrips is mage hand so when he doesn't have his sword he just uses mage hand for whatever he needs to do he always seems to screw up constantly (laughs) until he really really needs to pull out uh, a miracle and therefore we also gave him true strike yeah blows people away and makes them flip around in crazy contortionist acts (laughs) and again going back to the fact that people seem to like him for some reason despite the fact that he's pretty much total dick (laughs) is charm person gotta have that absolutely needed so you if you're role playing this can continue to be a dick and somehow get away (laughs) with it mirror image was a, a pretty we thought that that was a really fitting spell because if you recall uh, in multiple points throughout the series ash has either a duplicate of himself that's also kind of evil or in this one and this was so wonderful because it actually conjures three remember the scene where ash in in army of darkness gets accosted by the mini versions of him that eventually dive into his mouth it's somehow like a <laughs> playful scene while being horrifying at the same time yeah, truly truly <laughs> horrifying yeah so they go back into him which makes sense for the spell you've got unseen servant which isn't magic that's over the top and totally visual which we liked and he uses that to get the weapons into his hands all the time cuz he's always diving for <laughs> <He's> jumping <laughs> just <And> like somehow <laughs> somehow the trajectory of that sword arm or the uh, the chainsaw or the gun just happens to meet him just perfectly <laughs> he's got to have somebody helping right <laughs> yeah so he's got an unseen servant so for some of his invocations we chose beguiling influence for its obvious reasons and then fiendish vigor And, well, the Dark One's Blessing and the Fiendish figure kind of both play into one another because he can never seem to really get the shit kicked out of him enough to stay down. Yeah. So like having that extra bit of HP certainly helps. Yeah. Both of those just bump your HP, give you some temporary HP. So he just keeps fighting. Yeah. The the entire character sheet is available. So go check it out. But we're going to also talk about the magic weapon that you built for him. Yeah, well, you drew it. I built the stats. It's the boomstick. It fires two bolts as an action. It requires a full action to reload. And it casts the cantrip thunderclap (laughs) at first level every time it's fired with a constitution saving throw of 13. So (laughs) that's so perfect. And I actually, when I drew this, I drew it as a, uh, like a double crossbow that kind of crisscrosses. And I I made sure to to stick with the Remington stock that's on it, and really make it kind of a, a mishmash between his like Remington shotgun and uh, and an old and school a crossbow. crossbow. yeah, yeah, it's great. But you actually wrote some flavor <laughs> flavor script. Well, I had to. Yeah, you Ash's actually... lines are so iconic. So in the scene where he's threatening all of the villagers, all of the the castle denizens in army of darkness he goes on a big monologue <laughs> about his gun yep. uh, when he's introducing them to his boomstick gives him the sales pitch all right so give it to us well i mean he he's one of the original salespeople of the boomstick so this is the thundershot double-barreled remington s-mart's top of the line <laughs> you can find this in the caves of clatter that's right, this sweet baby was made in Blingdonstone by Deep Gnome Hands. Sells for about 109 gold 95 silver. It's got a Zirkwood stock, dwarven blue mithril, and a hair trigger. <laughs> That's there's... so, so it. Like, that, that scene is so ingrained in my head. Yeah, I love it. You just see him. So, there's a little <laughs> D&D theme for you. Well, I hope you enjoy playing that character. Let us know what you think of the build and if uh, we could have probably improved in, in any way. I'm sure we could have, but still, it was super fun. Let yeah. us know what you would have done. We had a blast building them. So let's recap what we've covered in this episode real quick. Well, we've done patron inspiration. So you can do Akamana, the devil patron that will get you in front of your god or claim your soul, depending on how many spells you cast. Or Asmodeus, the demon that makes you throw wicked parties so they can let loose in your mortal <laughs> coil. Or Leshy, the yugoloth that wants you to spread tales leading idiots to their deathly embrace. That damn Leshy. We also did some character inspiration. You've spread cursed items and you got to get them back. That would be a really fun campaign. You've You're a paladin that's deep undercover or you're an entertainer spreading the good word about being a warlock. And finally, we introduced you to a new character, Ash, in all his fantasy glory, complete with his boomstick. So speaking of patrons and packs, consider patroning us, you sexy devil you. For we are flabby and we lack great power. (laughs) The main (laughs) difference is that you can get out of this pact at any time. So uh, yeah, if you enjoy our work, uh, feel free to go to our patreon um but that's also where you'll always find all of our stuff available there for free we just want you to use it and don't forget you can find us anywhere at hook and chance we're on facebook we're on reddit and we've got our website hookandchance.com all right you primitive screw heads listen up <laughs> thanks for listening and play, play great, great games, games.